0: You can go and open your Bibles to John chapter four. All right, so Thanksgiving, was it good? Like really good or eh, it was was good? It was awesome? Legit. I had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, I'll just share this with you. I spent my, my Thanksgiving basically doing two things. One half of my Thanksgiving was spent stuffing my face with turkey and dressing and green bean casserole and mashed potatoes and gravy and a lot of pumpkin pie, and then uh, the second half, or the other half, was spent uh, like that right there. My mom took that picture when me and my uncle were uh, passed out, Tri- tryptophan coma, you know, turkey and tryptophan, and so anyways, that's the face of happiness, but I to John chapter four, and, and, and uh, if you're not there yet, I'm going to go and pray, and, and we'll get in there, so Father, we love you, and thank you. Uh, just for the opportunity to open your word this morning and or tonight, and I just pray, um, I just pray that you would speak uh, clearly and, and more, you know, more honestly. I, I pray that we would be able to just be focused to hear you. Uh, and I know that you're wanting to communicate to us, um, so Father, I pray that uh, just all distractions that might might be here um, in our minds, you know, distractions from school work, whatever's going on, I pray that you would remove those. Um, and Lord, if you know, just the distraction of this being a new place, uh, somewhere that you know, some of these folks have never been before or experienced before, I pray that just that newness would not be a distraction, and instead that you would just draw them in to your word. Father, we love you, and uh, I'm excited about digging in, and I just pray that um, I just pray that, that excitement would show, but, but not get in the way of uh, what you want to say. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter four. So I don't know, some of y'all may have noticed as you flip there, we've already been in John chapter four this semester. About five, six weeks ago, we studied John chapter four. We studied the first 26 verses, and it was a sermon titled uh, Drop Your Bucket. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you to, to go back and listen to that on our, on our podcast. Everything we talk about in here goes online on iTunes or on our website, overflowdenton.com. But this particular one was part of our four series, and I think it was called Diverse, and then Drop Your Bucket because of some other stuff we were talking about, but I just wanna kind of catch you up with a few big things from that passage before we dig into the rest of John chapter four uh, tonight. So that story begins where Jesus is at this well and this Samaritan woman walks up and Jesus and this Samaritan woman begin to have this dialogue, this conversation. Now, leaving out a ton of details, a lot of things that I'm leaving out, the, the gist of what happens, the gist of where Jesus goes is this, when we get thirsty, and when I say thirsty, I mean <clears throat> thirsty, you know, the woman was thirsty for water, but when we get thirsty, thirsty for things like love and thirsty for things like acceptance and community and intimacy and success and purpose in life, we go to a well, we take this metaphorical bucket, if you will, and we take it to a well to get it filled with things to quench that thirst. And different people have created different wells for their life. And for some of you, your well might be your your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Some of you, your well might be your, your fraternity, your sorority, uh, or your or your sports team uh maybe trying to get straight A's or it might be your parents even for some of you it's the mall where you can buy stuff and so you take your bucket to that well and you and you expect that well whatever you choose it to be to fill your bucket and and so what happens is uh once you, once you draw that water, you, you leave the well, and then the satisfaction only lasts for a little bit because your bucket, and the example we used that night was this, five, this uh, five-gallon bucket. So your bucket's not that big, so whatever's in there doesn't last very long. And so what happens is you end up kind of in this pattern where you, you go to the well to fill up your bucket, and you get it filled and you leave. Because your bucket's not that big, it doesn't last very long, so once it goes empty, you go back to the well. Fill up your bucket again, you leave, Doesn't last very long, so you go back to the well. And this pattern just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And what ends up happening is you end up spending half of your life feeling empty as you walk to this well to get your bucket filled. And then you end up spending the second half or the other half of your life carrying around this weight and this this burden of a bucket full of things that you're trying to find satisfaction in and that was the picture of this samaritan woman and jesus says to this samaritan woman look you're not going to find satisfaction in that she was searching for more than just satisfaction she was searching for life and jesus says the only place you can find life is in him and so eventually what it gets to is you have to drop your bucket if you want jesus you have to drop your bucket if you want life and so the first 26 verses of John chapter four is about experiencing life. And what we're gonna see tonight is the next 11 verses, 27 through 38, is about experiencing growth. And so here we go. Are, are y'all ready? Are y'all, are y'all there in John chapter four? If, if, you, if you have it, say, I have it. Or, or amen, that works too. All right, here we go. John chapter four, beginning in verse 27. This is gonna be fun. It says, just then his disciples returned. Now the context is Jesus has just finished talking with this woman and he's just revealed to her who he is. I'm the Christ, I'm the one. If you drop your bucket and you take me instead of the bucket, then you can have life. So just then his disciples returned, they were gone, they come back and look at what happens, it says, and they were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. Now I need to clarify this because this isn't like the disciples walk up and see JC talking with a lady saying like, oh dang, Jesus, Okay, all right, I see. I see what you I see, I see you got game. No, it's not like that at all. Like, what they're thinking is a few things. One, they're thinking, one, Jesus, this is a woman. Like, culturally at that point, they didn't talk to women unless they were the wife. And even then, they didn't necessarily talk to the wife. The second thing was, this was a Samaritan woman. Jews, Samaritans, they did not associate. Third is, this was a prostitute. Rabbi, teacher of the word, did not associate with a prostitute in their culture. And so they. Well you see the response. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, looking at the woman, what do you want? No one asked the woman that, what do you want? And no one looked at Jesus and said, Why are you talking with her? I mean they walk up and they completely ignore. They totally blow this woman off. Now, these, these disciples earlier in the text, you see that they'd gone into town to pick up some food. So they went into town, probably hungry, and they went to the market, grocery store, got food, and came back. And so not only do they see a woman, which they knew in their mind they were going to talk to, they were also hungry. So a woman, hungry, I'm ignoring the woman, I'm going to go eat. But in the midst of that, they totally ignore her, totally blow her off, act like she's not there. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Because think if, instead of Jesus being the one who stayed at the well, what if he went with the disciples into the town to get food and one of the disciples of the 12 stayed at the well? What do you think would have happened instead? How would this have played out differently? I mean, we can speculate on a few things. We can speculate that by the response and walking up and seeing the woman and ignoring her, that if one of the disciples had stayed instead of Jesus, we can speculate that when the woman would have walked up to the well, instead of engaging her in conversation, the disciple would have totally ignored her, at best. At worst, maybe he would have gotten up and left and kind of maybe, I don't know, hid in the bushes or hid around the corner until she was done at the well and then came back when she left. Speculation speculation, though. I can tell you a couple things for sure that would not have happened. If you read forward, verse 28, it says, then leaving her water jar, this is the woman, dropping her bucket, the woman went back to the town. The first thing that we know would not have happened is this woman would not have been introduced to this this water that brings eternal life. She never would have dropped her bucket of burden and emptiness simultaneously and met Jesus if Jesus hadn't been the one that had stayed. But the second thing you see wouldn't have happened is you read further, it says, So she, she dropped her bucket, the woman went back to the town, and then said to the people, other Samaritans, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Savior of the world? Could this be the Messiah? And it says, they, the Samaritans, came out of the town and they made their way toward him, toward Jesus. If you were to flip to verse 39, you'd see that many of the Samaritans from that town believed because of this woman's testimony. And then further, after they meet Jesus, it says many more of them believed. So one thing definitely wouldn't have happened. The Samaritan woman would not have met Jesus. She would not have dropped her bucket, gotten rid of that. But the second thing is, all these other Samaritans, they never would have been introduced to Jesus. And they also never would have dropped their bucket and experienced eternal life, believed in Christ. But you read forward, so the disciples show up, and it says, verse 31, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, rabbi, teacher, eat something. So these disciples, they've gone into town to get food, they've walked back with this food, and just like if you went to a fast food restaurant to pick up food for your roommates or for your family, you know that not all that food is making it back before you get home. So like the the bag with the fries, like there's only like two fries left in it because you ate them in the car ride on the way home uh, while you were texting and looking at yourself in the mirror, so that's a dangerous car ride home, but... So anyways, like they're on the way back. Some of the food's gone, but I guarantee they still had a lot of food. So they get this food out and, uh, and they're grown men. It was getting late. It was time to eat. When grown men get hungry, you don't get in the way because when a grown man's stomach says it's time to eat, it's time to eat, so get out of the way. And, and the other thing you gotta think about is it says they, they went into town to get this food and you can guess by what was happening prior to this that when they went into town, they were already hungry. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this before. I remember seeing a news report a while back uh, and the news report was on how to save money and lose weight at the same time. And the answer was, you don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. I mean, Because what happens when you go to the grocery store when you're hungry? You're shaking, you're shaking your heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I make that mistake too often. You know, It's like you go to get soap and a box of cereal, and you come back with a basket full of Oreos and just random stuff that you can't even eat in the time before it spoils. You know? So they went into town hungry. You know they came back with a lot of food. And they didn't, I mean, these were 11, no, 12 dudes, all right, brawny men, and they didn't go into uh, you know, what's the place on the, on the square? Like, if they had gone in town here into the square, they wouldn't, what's that girly place? Yeah, the what is it, the, the Chestnut Tea Room? They didn't go there to get their food. Like, they probably went to, I don't know, Denton County Hamburger, or there's a new one, Cartwright's Ranch House, mmm, it's good. They got, like, all kinds of meat there. Fried chicken, chicken fried steak, so they probably came back with a lot of meat and they get there where this woman is, totally ignore her. she drops her bucket, she leaves, goes into town. They take these bags of food, they dump it on the ground because real men don't use picnic blankets and they gather around the food and they say, yo Jesus, come over here and eat. And here's what Jesus is dealing with right now. He's just had this really awesome conversation with this Samaritan prostitute Woman. And he's still pumped up and dealing with the excitement and exhilaration that came from that. And he's just seen how the disciples totally blew her off, totally ignored her. So he sees this, when these guys are hungry, as a really good opportunity to teach them something. And so they say, Jesus, come over here and eat and listen to what he says. Verse 32. It says, Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, if you read the next couple verses, which we'll get to in a second, you'll see that this word food, we see three times. Once in verse 32, once in verse 33, once in verse 34. But if you look a little closer, all three of those words in Greek are different words. And it really doesn't change much, but it adds enough detail that I think we need to look at it. So the first word If you were to take that word and really translate it as literally as you could into English, it would say food. But to be a little bit more specific, it would say to eat something or something to eat. So when Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about, he's basically saying, I have something, something that's edible that you know nothing about. And then when we get to the disciples and they say, well, they're looking around, did somebody bring him food? The word they use for food, if you translate it literally, would be food. But to be a little bit more specific, the word that they use would be to to say dinner or a meal. And then you get to verse 34 and Jesus begins to explain back to them. He says, no, 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 my food is, and then we'll look at that in a second, but he says my food, the word he uses here is different than the first one he used. The word he uses is here, if most literally translated, also would mean food, but to be more specific would be solid food or meat. And when I kind of see that, uh, it reminds me of something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul, if you don't know who Paul is, basically a early missionary in the church, and he's writing a letter to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians, he was writing specifically to Christian Corinthians, so people in Corinth who were Christians, who were living in this, this culturally rich city. The issue, though, with this church in Corinth was the culture of the city was bleeding more so into the church than the church was bleeding into culture. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago after overflow, what, what, where did the name overflow come from? Honestly, I don't know. I wasn't here when that name was given to this meeting. Uh, but my guess would be it means something to the effect of the purpose of this is for us to bleed more into culture or overflow into culture more so than culture overflows into us. In other words, we're supposed to be the ones having a bigger impact on culture than culture has on us. You following me? So that was the issue with the Corinthian church is the culture, it was switched around. The culture was having more or overflowing of the church as opposed to the other way around. I'm confusing myself with all that. But the word that Paul uses as he speaks to these believers in 1 Corinthians 3 is the same word that Jesus uses in 4.34, the word food. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 3, verses one and two. He says, brothers or sisters, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ, And then he says, I gave you milk, not solid food. There's the word. For you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, he says, you're still still not ready for it. Paul basically says, I I, I cannot address you as spiritual, but I have to address you as worldly. I can't address you as grown adults or even adolescents. I have to address you as infants, as as babies. And the reason is they weren't yet ready for solid food. He could have very easily said because you've not yet discovered solid food. Or he could have very easily said there's food that you know nothing about, which is just what Jesus says. And so my question that comes from this, making this connection here is, why didn't they, the people Paul was talking to, and even the people Jesus is talking to, why didn't they yet know about this food? Why, why were they not yet ready for this, for this meat? Are you following where I'm going? And, and the answer was, because they were still infants. They were still, they were still babies. Now, I want to ask this question. I want you to interact here. I want, I want you to raise your hand if you can answer this question, all right? If you have been a Christian for, say, two years or more, if, if you would call yourself, or say that you are somebody who has believed in Christ, you would consider yourself saved, call yourself a Christian, and that's been the case for two years or more, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, a, a good number. Now, if if you would say that you've been a Christian for five years or more, I want you to raise your hand. Still a good number. Now, if you would say you've been a Christian for 10 years or more, I want you to raise your hand. All right, still a good number. And we could keep on going, keep on going. But the point is, the people that Paul was talking to here in Corinth were people who were, who were not brand new Christians. They had been Christians for at least a few years, maybe even more than that. But he calls them infants. He calls them Babies. He doesn't call them adults. He doesn't call them adolescents. He calls them babies. And, and if you think about this like contrast here, grown adults or even adolescents, they, they can do a whole lot more than a baby can do. I mean, they can, they can walk, they can talk, they can run, they can, I don't know, feed themselves. There's just a lot of things grown-ups obviously can do that babies can't do. I mean, have you ever spent much time around a baby before? Some of you, yes. Some of you are like, oh, heck, no, I haven't. Um, I used to be scared to death of babies. Like, somebody hand me a baby, and I'm like, I don't even wanna look it directly in the eye, you know what I'm saying? Like, kind of like dogs won't look you in, in the eye. And then, you know, you kind of just watch and all of a sudden, you know, the tears start to well up and then the, you know, the little chin starts to jiggle right before you start to cry. And, and then it's just, And then, you know, the baby sees me crying, so it starts to cry. And uh, it's just a bad situation altogether. So, but anyways, I'm not that scared of him anymore. And uh, this past weekend, I was with one of my buddies. His name's Jonathan, he's from Louisiana. He was in South Lake this weekend with his wife, visiting their family. And uh, they've just had a baby. They have a seven-month-year-old boy. Don't remember his name. Doesn't matter. But we're watching the LSU-Arkansas game, and uh, sitting in his living room, and this, this, this baby is on the floor. And at one point, I noticed in the middle of the game, uh, his, his baby's gone from his back to kind of in that push-up-looking position where they're on their knees and their hands are down on the ground. You know, girls, you know what I'm talking about. Y'all around babies all the time, I feel like. Um, and uh, it's just, it kind of starts that little rocking back and forth movement, you know? Uh, and... And you could tell it's like thinking, hey, like I should crawl, but it didn't know how to crawl yet. So I get down on the floor and uh, I get, you know, his feet are kind of squunched up like that. And so I get down there and I, and I push his feet up against my, my hand and kind of push the baby back a little bit. And then Jonathan gets down over there and I'm, you know, I'm trying to get him to push off my hand, you know, realizing, hey, there's like forward motion possible here with the body <laughs> muscles that you have. <clears throat> and so he's not really getting it. Uh, <clears throat> so Jonathan gets down on the floor and he's over on the other side going, come here, buddy. You know, like it's a dog or something. And uh, so I had to look weird. Three dudes on the floor and one's trying to learn to crawl. But, I mean, babies, when they're born, they, they're not born with the ability to walk immediately. You know that, right? Okay. Uh, like, like, babies, when they're born, they have to go through these, these stages of learning to move their ligaments and their body and their muscles and stuff. I mean, like, if you've ever seen a, anybody here ever seen a brand new baby before? Like, I mean, okay, so like, initially, when a baby's born, it's it's like pretty much helpless. Okay, so like, I mean, like wherever wherever mom lays it, dad lays it. I mean that that's where it is. I mean it's at the total mercy of mom and dad. Probably doesn't have his legs crossed like that. So, you know, so he's he's just or she's just chilling. You know, and if the if the mom lays it on its back, then it's laying on its back. It doesn't matter if it wants to be on its back or stomach. It's laying on its back. But if mom or dad lays it on its stomach, then that's I mean, it's gotta be cool with the baby because he really can't do anything about it, so the baby's laying on his stomach. But eventually, what you'll notice is, over time, a baby will learn that it has the ability or it'll develop the ability to flip, to flip over. Or not flip over, but like roll. There you go, roll. <laughs> Thanks, whoever that was over there. Uh, develop the ability to roll over. So it'll like roll over on its stomach. And then, you know, somewhere, I don't know if it's before or after the roll, but it, it kind of has this ability to start, you know, lifting and controlling its head weight. And so it can, you know, look around and observe what's going on around it. And then it goes through this stage of development where it, it begins to realize, hey, and now babies are limber. I don't think they do it like this. But, you know, they get up to where they're, they're on their knees, and they're on their hands. This is, you know, what you girls would probably say, oh my gosh, my baby, it can do the push-up now. And, and I've never understood that, you know, like why young moms uh, totally get excited and freak out because their baby just got in the push-up position. I'm like, dude, I could do like 20 of those. Like, that's not even a big deal. But So like the baby's in the push-up position. It just kind of, you know, chilling there, still learning to control its head weight. And then it starts that whole, you know, hey, I'm kind of rocking, you know, that whole rocking movement. And then it gets to a point where it realizes that it, like it's an alien, he, she, whatever it is, realizes that it can like move its, its legs. And so it begins this crawling phase. And, and I don't know if you know this, like when a baby learns to crawl, like you're in trouble. Your cabinets better be locked. Uh, you better have some safety guards on because it's like a rat running around on acid. I mean, they're going <laughs> everywhere, going crazy. And then what happens is, like this baby, it's, it's going around and it comes up to a coffee table or the edge of the fireplace. And, and what happens when it gets to the coffee table or the edge of the fireplace? I don't know if all babies just run into it. What I was thinking was, they, they, they kind of, they start to kind of grab it and eventually they reach their hands on top of the coffee table and what happens? They begin the pull-up phase. And so they start to kind of pull themselves up, you know? and on their knees, and then they realize, oh my gosh, my leg can do this right here, you know? And then they kind of start the whole stand-up phase, and so they're holding on, and it's, you know, it's really wobbly, you know, because their head, they still don't know how to control the crazy weight, which, I have a big head, so like, man, as a baby, that must have been brutal falling backwards, but, so like, you know, they're kind of wobbling, but over time, they get a little bit more sturdy, more sturdy, more sturdy, and eventually, they're out of the pull-up phase into the stand-up phase, and it's wobbly, but they can stand there, right? And then they get brave, and they kind of turn sideways, tables now to their side. And mom's over there going, come here, you can walk. And it kind of takes, you know, <laughs> that first step, falls, gets back up, tries it again, even though it takes, you know, forever. And, and oh, af- after a while, after a while, what happens? They're walking. But prior to fully going through all of these phases of movement, and when I say fully going through it, I don't just mean getting to the place where they can finally walk. Like, I mean growing a little bit more, developing muscle, developing a little bit better coordination, past Bambi, okay, like better coordination than that. Like, prior to that, a baby is, a baby is totally helpless. I mean, prior to that, a baby can't get around on its own. I mean, wherever it goes or wherever, you know, long distance other than across the living room, mama has to carry the baby, or Daddy has to carry the baby, or if they have to get one of those little baby strollers out and push the baby around everywhere it goes. That's normal for a baby. Like that's totally OK. But what's not OK is if you're like 10 years old, or 15 or 20, or in my case, 27, and you still have mom trying to carry you around. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like <laughs> That'd be weird. But but babies it's not just getting around that's an issue for them when they're babies. They're helpless in everything. Like they can't take care of themselves. I mean if they make a mess, somebody else has to clean it up. I don't know many babies that can change their own diapers. But that's okay. Like that's normal. What's not normal is if you're 27 years old and when you go to the bathroom you got to call your mom and ask her to come help you clean up. That's not normal. Babies can't dress themselves? Babies can't feed themselves. I mean, what does a baby do when it's hungry? Yes, lays there and cries until mom comes and feeds the baby. But that's normal. It's okay to do that. Uh, I feel like everywhere I've been outside the U.S., minus like Canada and recently England, so like everywhere else, it's just n- like normal for a mom who has a young baby that she's carrying around. When the baby's hungry, doesn't matter where she is, like you just, she just feeds it. And... Uh, I remember Central America, I'm up in front of this group teaching, first time I experienced this, and there's like five moms in the audience with babies, and it was like a buzzer went off, and they just all, whoop, and just start feeding their little kids, and I mean, it was just, I mean, I don't want to focus on that image here, but it was just very distracting and weird, and, but it was culturally okay there. It's culturally okay a lot of places, obviously not here. Um, this last time I went to Peru, I was up in front of this group of people, and totally prepared for it. This mom, she had a little baby and at one point she starts to feed her little baby and again, totally normal, like that's totally okay. So she finishes feeding her baby and then from my right, this little eight-year-old kid just walks up and she starts feeding this little eight-year-old kid. I don't know if that's normal there. That's not normal here. (laughs) That was weird. And the point is like, A baby has to have help being fed a baby has to have help being fed and um it's okay but if you're like 10 15 27 like that's not okay (laughs) that's not normal at all and so paul says to these people dude what i'm seeing out of you talking to the people in corinth the christians who've been christians for more than a few years now he's saying dude what i'm seeing out of you is not normal like, how long am I gonna have to clean up after you? I mean, how long am I gonna have to carry you around and coddle you and clothe you? And how long am I gonna have to feed you out of this milk bottle? And you'll notice there's a, there's a pretty close correlation between what a baby is eating and then how far they, they progress in these other areas. Like, they start drinking milk, and then they kind of graduate to the mashed up, watered down, nasty baby food. And then eventually they graduate to solid meat. And so Paul says it's obvious you've not yet worked your way up to this meat. And Jesus says it's obvious you've not yet discovered this solid food. And it shows. You go back to John chapter four, verse 32. So Jesus says, he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples, when they hear this, they're confused. they just come back, they're starting to eat. Jesus says this to them and they start looking at each other saying, well, who brought them food? What? I mean, did somebody bring food already gone? Did the woman have food with her And how did he eat? And so Jesus explains, and in doing so, he alludes to the fact that these disciples were still drinking milk. They were still eating baby food. And so Jesus says, this is what it looks like, fellas, to eat like a grown-up." And listen to what he says, verse 34. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There's two things that he says, all right? First, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, to do God's will, to do God's assignment for him, to be obedient to that. And the second thing he says is to finish, to commit to doing what he's assigned to me until it gets done. Now, these two words, do and finish, create some problems for us. And I want to explain why. The first word, do, we love to do things. In America, we are like notorious for squeezing every little bit out of a day that we can. I remember the, the first country I went to outside the, minus Canada, that doesn't really count, like the other country that I went to, I met a guy and he said, growing up, one of his dreams was to come to the United States of America because all the things that he'd heard about it. And so he came and visited one time and obviously he wasn't still there. So I asked him, you know, what did you think of your time in the United States? And he said, man, I don't ever wanna go back. And I was like, why? He said, because y'all move way too fast for me. Y'all move way too fast for my culture. And the reality is, like, Americans are known for scheduling every little bitty second out of every day. And then the things that we have scheduled within those things, we're multitasking. So we're, like, doing things while we're doing other things. We love to do things, and we do a lot of things, but here's the problem. We love to do the things that don't matter. Um, There's a... uh, I found this survey from 2010, so I'm sure it's even a lot different in 2011. But it's from the American Time Use, it's it's called the American Time Use Survey, and and it was a survey done like, the previous one was 2007, so it was showing the time, the way we spend time and its difference to 2007. Does that make sense what I just said? I think so, okay. So since 2007, we we spend per day, this is like in a 24-hour period, we spend five minutes more watching television. Some of this, you know, it's, in a big picture, it's interesting. Total of two and a half hours a day watching television. All right? uh, leisure and sports, not counting watching TV. A lot of surveys clump those two together. Uh, two hours and nine minutes a day. That's up from 2007. So a total of almost four hours a day doing nothing. Uh, then, I guess the other two that caught my mind were work and work-related activities is down 30 minutes, since 2007, down to four and a half, at less than four and a half hours of work a day. And then the other one that caught my mind was they, they clumped organizational, civic, and religious activities into one group that they hadn't charted before. And people spend about 16 minutes a day uh, with, with those things. And, and I would love to know, I, I, sh- I, I thought of this too late to look this up, but I would love to know the statistics on how much time we spend on Facebook, how much time we spend on YouTube, Netflix. It's probably terrible, but... So we love to do things. The problem is we love to do things that don't matter. So the second problem that these two words create for us, the word finish, is we're great starters, but we're terrible finishers. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, we have commitment issues, big time, not just in relationships, fellas. Like all of us, guys and girls, we've got commitment issues. I mean, we're passionate people. We have so much passion, but it's brief. It's brief and that passion is brief because it's not based on something found like firmly founded not on a solid foundation instead it's based on emotion and emotion is just you know it's always up and down so as soon as that emotion dives down the passion is gone and so we move on to something completely and totally different one of the illustrations that's used to compare our generation to other previous generations is previous generations were always the play now or I'm sorry pay now play later like they were willing to work for the rewards, work for the results, work for success. But our generation is called one that is play now, pay later. We want immediate results. We don't wanna wait. We want immediate rewards. And if we step into something that we think might be able to give us that, but then it doesn't, we immediately drop out. Commitment issues. We're gone, fast. And that's, I think, why this story that Jesus shares in verse 35 through 37 is so great. He says, do you not say, Four months more and then the harvest. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper, this is huge, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. The point of this is, and there's a few things he's saying, but the big underlying thing that he's saying is you you can't get rid of one or the other. The sower and the reaper are both critical to the process. The sower, the one who will not see results right away and sometimes will never see the results is just as critical as the reaper who immediately sees the harvest, immediately gets the reward. You can't have one without the other. There's a guy named Adoniram Judson. Uh, He was a missionary, I think in the 1800s-ish, from America to Burma, now Myanmar. And when, you know, at that point, when you left, you left. It's not like you could fly there and fly back or Skype or anything like that. I mean, even letters took forever to get from one place to another. So he went to Burma And for the first, and this isn't exactly right, but it's in this range, like the first seven to ten years of his ministry there, they did not see one single person come to know Jesus. Seven to ten years. And throughout that period, the people that were there working with him, they were all either dying, his wife died, or they were quitting. And he didn't see a harvest until almost the very end of his life, and then after his life is when the big harvest came. So, so we're great starters, but we're terrible finishers. Ida and I, know, I'm Justin, is a perfect example of a great starter and a great finisher. But we, we, we love to do things, problem is we love to do things that don't matter, and we're great starters, but terrible finishers. Now remember, the first 26 verses of this, of this chapter, chapter four, one through 26, it's all about experiencing life. These 11 verses we're dealing with tonight, really four or five verses we're dealing with are about experiencing growth. So if you're not doing and finishing God's will, it doesn't mean you're dead. You need to hear that. It might mean you're dead. Dead spiritually, not saved. Jesus comes back tonight, it's not gonna be good. You might be dead, but it doesn't mean you're dead. What it does mean is you're not growing. So if you're not doing God's will, and you're not following up and being committed to the assignments that He's given to you until they're finished, then you're not growing. Food nourishes our bodies. And it's necessary for physical growth. Finishing and doing God's assignments that He's given to you, that's nourishment to our souls, and it's necessary for our spiritual growth. And here's what I want you to hear. Some of you tonight are brand new believers. Like, it's okay. Like, earlier when I asked, Have you been a believer for two years or more and up? Like, that's okay if you didn't raise your hand. Like, if you're six months or less, or one week or one day, like, that's awesome. You're in the family, that's cool. Some of you are brand new believers. And so you should be drinking milk. Like you should be dependent on other people to clean up after your mess sometimes and to help clothe you. And literally, or not literally, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> clarify that. Um, but, but you should be drinking milk. You should be dependent on others. But many of you, and I, I would say from earlier, most of you are not brand new believers. Which means most of you should not be drinking milk. You should be eating meat. And most of you should not be dependent on others to clean up after you make a mess and to carry you around and to coddle you. But the reality is, many of you older believers are acting like you were born just yesterday. And so you're laying there because you haven't figured out how to, roll over yet and because you haven't figured that out babies are basically helpless and so you're still needing to be spoon-fed and it's it's got to be I mean it has to be light you're needing to be spoon-fed the mashed up watered down baby food so it has to be light you know it can't be really a long time it has to be uh, it has to taste good if it's not entertaining or funny then or engaging then you're gone or it has to be simple and basic. Now you'd love to think about eating the meat. you love to talk about the deep stuff, the big theological words. But the reality is you're not ready for that. Because you're still trying to digest the foundational elements. You don't even understand the foundational elements. You don't even understand the foundational elements of the gospel. Some of you haven't yet discovered your arms In your your feet, your hands, your feet. You ever seen a baby when he discovers his hands? I mean, it's like, you know, they've been moving this whole time, but it's all, you know, it's like one day it's like, ooh. (laughs) You know, and so like, baby's looking at it. And and what's the first logical thing that goes through a baby's mind when he discovers his hand? Stick it in your mouth. (laughs) Same thing with the feet. That's why you see those babies way more limber than us grown up humans. That's why you see those babies with their feet in their mouth. And they just lay there with their feet in their mouth, their, their hands in their mouth, and they just enjoy that, I guess. It tastes good. You ever, seen a, you ever seen a baby or been around a baby when they discover they have a voice? What do they do? Well, so, some of them, they just start to scream. I won't exemplify that. Some of them, they'll just lay there and be like, ba, 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 ba. You ever been around a baby that does that? And then they discover they can make different noises with their mouth or different, you know, pronounce different syllables, duh, duh, duh. You, know, you had the little intercom on when they're in their crib in the other room and you can just hear them and they're going, duh, 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 duh. Ah, ah, you know, making it, or they they finally go, some of you haven't discovered that you have a voice yet. And some of you, um, some of you, are still acting like you need others to clean up the mess that you make. And some of you, when you don't get things your way, you just lay there and cry. But, but when you think about those things, uh, I think there's one that's maybe worse than all of those. For those of you who are older believers acting like you were born yesterday, think of the terrible big brother or big sister that you're being. Think of how bad of an example you're setting for the baby believers the one who were born yesterday who are looking to you to see what it looks like to be a grown-up believer i think that's maybe what's worse than all these other ones and it all leads back to the fact that you're not eating right and according to jesus eating right means no more drinking milk from a bottle no more eating the mashed up watered down baby food but start eating the solid food start eating the meat And solid food, a.k.a. meat, is to do what God's called you to do and commit to doing it until it's finished. There's one more thing I want you to see tonight, and that's this. Food is not just about nourishment or nutrition. It's about satisfaction. Uh, Can we get that picture from earlier that I showed? Thanksgiving is awesome, and that is a picture of satisfaction right there. And I stayed in that place for a long time that day. There's nothing better than a big fat plate full of turkey. And a big fat plate full of mashed potatoes and gravy and green bean casserole and everything else I listed earlier. There's nothing better than that. Full of flavor. You can take it down. Full of flavor. And it eases the hunger pains. And you go back to John 4:34. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus says, this is what brings me the most satisfaction. To do and to finish We seek to be satisfied in so many things, but God literally created us. He literally created you to be satisfied in one way, and that's by doing His will and committing to it until it's finished. You ever wonder why you love playing music and singing and you're actually good at it? Not talking to everybody. Like, you wonder why, while other people like myself, when they see blood or guts or broken bones, they just pass out cold on the floor, but it doesn't bother you at all. And when it comes to chemistry and biology, those are just whiz subjects for you. You have no problem with that. You ever wonder why that's you? You ever wonder why you can run fast or jump high? You ever wonder why you're really organized? You keep things clean almost to the point of OCD? And you love to do things that other people hate to do? You ever wonder why you're not scared to get up in front of people and talk? And you love to tell stories and there's this weird thing where there's always weird things that happen to you, so you always have stories to tell? You ever wonder why that's you? You ever wonder why why you love to cook? You ever wonder why you love having people at your house? You love being the one who hosts the party, hosts the gathering? You ever wonder why that's you? You ever wonder why people just come to you and they just spill their problems? You're like a magnet for those people. You ever wonder why that is? Seriously. You ever wonder why it's like they treat you like you're some, I don't know, guru or some oh wise counselor? And they're always asking you for advice? Here's why. It's because God created you to be that way and he wired you specifically so that you would be most satisfied in using those abilities and those passions for serving him. And I wanna say this as a side note. The purpose of overflow is not to spoon feed you for the next four years. The purpose of the church is not to spoon feed you for the rest of your life. The purpose of church is not to uh, clean up after you for the rest of your life. The purpose of the church is not to uh, clothe you for the rest of your life, make sure your you know, outfit matches. The purpose of the church is not to carry you everywhere you go the rest of your life and do everything for you the rest of your life. The purpose of the church is this, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, Ephesians four twelve through 13. The purpose of the church is to equip you and to show you that you were made to serve him. That's the purpose of overflow. That's the purpose of Sunday morning. That's the purpose of what we do here. And you can find temporary happiness in all sorts of things, just like you can find temporary satisfaction for your taste buds in a lollipop. But true satisfaction, true fulfillment comes from solid food, meat. It comes from doing and finishing God's work that he has assigned to you. You go back to verse 34 and listen to this. Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said the one thing that brought him satisfaction was doing and what? <coughs> Finishing. But I want you to flip to John chapter 19. Jesus is up on the cross. And it says, later, knowing that all was now completed, finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. Same word, John chapter four, verse 34. And with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Could it be the most satisfied Jesus ever was? Was the moment he finished God's work on the cross of taking away your sin. And so he says in John chapter 4, this is what it looks like to eat like a grown up. But if you're still having trouble understanding what I mean when I say eat like a grown up, Jesus says, then just watch me. And that's what I want you to hear tonight. Eat like a grown up. This is about experiencing growth. And if you don't know what it looks like to eat like a grown up, then look at him.